0: generally older souls are going to have a little bit more empathy or a lot more empathy because they've had the experience that teaches them these things that we're all worthy of concern and understanding and so on
1: you're listening to this life explains it all
2: with the creators of Vera, your guide for navigating a conscious life We're Stefania Romeo and Katherine Griffiths. This Life Explains It All was created out of belief that our life experience is our greatest teacher. And as soul sisters and intuitives, we've spent the past decade completely obsessed with better understanding our minds and our bodies, all while running a mile a minute with busy careers as leaders in the tech startup world. On this podcast, we are
1: bringing you the insights and lessons that have changed our lives with the thought leaders, healers, and dreamers behind them. We're discussing wellness practices, healing methods, and experiences that get us to think differently about life and live empowered. Whether you want to uplevel your health, your career, your relationship, or going through changes to your life path, this information can help you get there
2: and let you know that we're right here with you. We believe life isn't meant to be lived linear, and no matter where you are right now, you're right on time. Hey guys, it's Stefania and Kat. Today we are talking to Ainsley McLeod. He's an award winning author, a past life regressionist, and a reluctant psychic, his words. He's renowned for his work. For example, he has been featured by Oprah, my favorite, as part of her super soul conversations, something we also recommend checking out. We're talking to Ainsley about our soul life, our soul mission, and purpose. How can understanding where we are on our soul's journey help us move through this life? Can it?
1: Ainsley calls himself a reluctant psychic as he spent a lot of his life living a very normal life until he was called upon to connect with his gifts and do this work. He's fostered connection with what he calls our spirit guides to really help us understand more about the human experience. He's authored three successful books, including his latest, The Old Souls Guidebook, which I highly, highly recommend reading.
2: One cool thing that you guys can do in, in conjunction with listening to this episode is go to Ainsley's website and you can take his soul type quiz. So he's going to talk a lot in this episode about how he came into this information and how he's developed this method. And and so you'll hear more about that. But Catherine and I both have taken the soul type quiz and it's interesting and you can read about kind of what are some of the signs and see if those resonate with you. But Kat, so I took that right before this and I have my results have you taken it? Okay. So what was your top (laughs) type? I know it's a combination of a bunch of things, but what came out at the highest percent? Spiritualist. Oh, wow. Okay. I had spiritualist and leader as my top two tied, Mm -hmm. but you know, Oprah was her top one was spiritualist as well. Ooh.
1: And it just says right here, spiritualist is what unites spiritualists is a deeply held belief in a world beyond this one hello.
2: That's what we talk about (laughs) all the time. (laughs) Yeah. And then there are a bunch of other like supporting things that tell Mm -hmm. you, you know, how you operate. Like for example, one of the supporting things of mine was like, and Ainsley talked about this in Oprah's as well, um, because she had a, a similar supporting one was like some of these supporting ones will be able to take your main type. So for us spiritualists and, and make it more digestible or make it more grounded and down to earth and not kind of this pie in the sky, crazy thing. So Cool. Well, yeah, you guys take the quiz if it resonates with you. If not, you know, even if you're not subscribing to this thinking exactly, it can help you kind of learn something about yourself and the way that you operate and and think about it in a different way, maybe.
1: You may find that it just the descriptions resonate with you and how you like to work and what you're interested in.
2: Okay. So before we get into the episode, Kat, what's one product or practice that you've been using? Practice
1: that I've been doing again, is yin yoga. It's a restorative type of yoga. And I was doing it a while before the whole coronavirus happened and going to classes and then fell off a bit. But I actually did one just online last night and made the lights really dim and put a diffuser on and just did it through the computer. And it was amazing. So you basically just stay in the poses for like four or five minutes at a time and it's supposed to really help restore your body from all the running around that we're doing, and well, not running too much because we can't go that far but <laughs> um, but from the busy lives and just restore your whole your mind and your body and I just felt so calm and amazing after, it. and it feels so good to stretch and just release that tension. We often hold tension in our hips, so mm-hmm. it does a lot, and you're like tension and emotions in our hips. So it's so good to just stretch them out and release. So I highly recommend trying out some yin yoga.
2: That's so interesting what you say about the hips. I remember my very instrumental in my life, first practice, big practice. My yoga teacher, Trisha, used to say, and they even had uh, shirts in the studio, and it would say, free your hips and your mind will follow. So you kind of said that in a different way. Yeah. What about you? For me, I've been using more of the Saqqara stuff. I'm truly obsessed with this. so I have been making a special smoothie or special drink every morning with the Saqqara Life Source Super Powder. It's this green powder that has collagen in it. It has daily greens, probiotics, all of these things, and it tastes really, really good. Um, I'll post somewhere the recipe for this drink that I've been making every morning. It's really, really good. But I also wanted to let everyone know. So I've been talking about Sakara a lot. And so we talked to them and they gave us a discount link for anyone who wants to buy any of the Sakara stuff. So if you have never purchased Sakara products before with your email address, and you click the link in the show notes, you will get 20% off your purchase. So some of the things that I use are that super powder, uh, we like that. And then the chocolates, the collagen chocolates I love. Um, and you can also like try the meal plan, which we've done before as like a reset when you're starting to get healthy again. So check that out. And really, I know a lot of people after I shared some of the products that I used asked me to send them the links or asked me about it. So now if you haven't ordered, you can get 20% off the first time you order.
1: Fantastic. I wish they shipped to Australia. It's very
2: annoying. I know. I'm going to have to <laughs> yeah. order some and send it over to you, smuggle it over and the I'll say it's something else. Let's get into this conversation with Ainsley. I feel like this is a conversation. I mean, you can listen to this conversation at any state that you're in, but it's kind of like one of those that I feel like if I was on the other side listening, I would like get a nice tea or maybe a wine and like chill, relax, one of those types of things. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Let's get into this conversation.
1: All right. We're talking to Ainsley about his personal journey and how he began doing this work, what it means to be an old soul or a young soul, and how you know which soul level you are. According to Ainsley, there are 10. How soul age plays into our family dynamics and our romantic relationships. This part was really interesting. And the telltale sign of an older soul. For example, if you identify with being an empath, this will help you understand that. The impact of our past lives, how it all works according to Ainsley and why it's important to be reminded of significant past lives, how you know whether an issue in this life is coming up from a past life experience. All right, let's get into it. Well, Ainsley, we're so excited to be talking to you right now. I was telling Stefania last week that I i couldn't wait for this conversation. I've read oh. the old Souls guidebook and uh, I heard you and I was right. just absolutely blown away. So we are we're really honored to have you on. I'm
0: honored to be here. I got to say I'm uh, <laughs> looking forward to this.
1: I know that you are a past life psychic, you're a spiritual teacher, you're an award-winning author, and from the research that we've done, you are a bit skeptical about this whole world in the beginning. So what changed and how did you get into all of this work?
0: Yeah, I was, it was funny. I, I was so skeptical about it, but I think I was a walking case of cognitive dissonance because for a long <laughs> time, I, I had no belief in anything beyond the physical plane. At the same time, I was really drawn to psychics, and uh, I went to visit my first psychic to supposedly debunk her, and then <laughs> came out going, "Oh my god, how do they do this?" <laughs> like it sort of that was really, I think, what first got me sort of interested was the sort of whole question about how can a psychic figure out these things? What happens on the other side, you know, or this other dimension that allows that to happen? So I, I really kind of. Um, ignored the call. I I had a lot of people telling me, in fact, a lot of psychics telling me I was psychic and I should be doing something with it. And uh, for the longest time, I just resisted. And uh, the story I always tell, because it it really was such a huge thing for me, was running into my uncle in a bookstore in Hawaii. I talk about this and I think both the instruction and the Old Souls guidebook. And the, the shocker was that he'd been dead for about 10 years, but he was there for a moment with a very clear message about working together. And that was what really got me started talking to the spirit world. And then a few other things happened that really kind of got my attention. And uh, I spent quite a long time developing my my ability. Once I figured out I could actually communicate with the other side, I spent several years really just practicing and getting used to this. And then realizing, of course, that you know my worldview was very different from how it had been before. You know, like I, I'd been a dyed-in-the-wool atheist, you know, convinced that... It, and anyone who thought otherwise was, was, you know, a weak-minded idiot. And now I go, oh, my God, you know, there's this whole other world. I mean, you know, d- dimensions. I feel i just scratched the, the surface in the last 20 years. You know, there's just so much more than we see and uh, can even comprehend, I think.
1: Absolutely. And with the psychic piece, and when you first started... Really knowing yourself that you had this ability, what did that feel like and look like to you? Were you almost seeing it with everyone, or was it something that you had to really tap into and and work on?
0: Yeah, that's a good question because you know I think a lot of people expect me just to be able to read them, just like you know, hi, how are you doing? Tell me about myself, you know, and it's, it doesn't quite work that way. Also, I feel to read somebody without their permission is like digging through the handbag or something, you know, it's like, it seems a little invasion of privacy. So I do very much switch on and off. And, uh, you know, if I'm working with clients, which I do pretty much every day, I bring in spirit guides I work with first of all, and I actually send them home at the end of it as well. It just, it prevents me from just being, becoming depleted from that sort of connection. So there's a lot of energy exchange, I guess, involved. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, I learned to control it. I mean, in very, very early days, I mean, the first time I ever read in a public place, I walked into a shop and uh, I talked to the owner and she'd invited me to come and sit in the corner and do readings. She had forgotten to mention to the staff that I would be there. So I'm picking up on all this hostility, like who is this guy setting up a table in the corner and what's, you know, what's going on and people coming past. And I could tell, you know, how they felt broadly speaking about what I was doing. Some were very positive and some were going, oh, here's this. So after that experience, I was so drained. And I really thought I'd never be able to really make it my career. But um, I worked with my spirit guides in a very simple way just to uh, make sure that I wasn't taking on board all that energy and picking up on other people's stuff. So I very much switch on and switch off. So I'm not reading all the time and not being flooded or bombarded with, with stuff.
2: Yeah. So, I am very fascinated by the soul age concept. So, for me, ever since I was little, I and I was told, and I felt like an older soul compared to those that I was around. And I became really fascinated with this subject. And that's part of the reason why I, I love your work as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about? that concept of soul age and how we might be able to start to understand, you know, are we an old soul? Are we a younger soul? What do some of those things show up like in our lives?
0: Yeah. Well, well, for me, this is such an eye opener too. For years, I'd always wondered, you know, why can somebody be so racist or something when it's not necessarily a a matter of education or intelligence. You know, you can get some well-educated, intelligent people who are white supremacists or something like that. And I used to wonder, what the heck is wrong with these people? The whole concept of soul age is just explained so much and why there's so much uh, diversity of opinion. How we see the world is so much through the lens of our soul age, which is really just about the experience that your soul has had on a physical plane. For most old souls, and for something like we're talking about here, the people who are going to be interested are going to be older souls. Younger souls don't, and they don't tend to be that interested. To get to that this point where you are an old soul can take something like uh, it could be five or six thousand years back and forth between here and the astral plane, which is where we go between lives, and probably something like 110, 120 lifetimes to get to be a really old soul to get to the end of the journey. So what happens, I describe the journeys very simply, going from a place of me to we, or from a place of fear to love. And so the more lifetimes you have, the more you reincarnate different parts of the world, always different experiences, the more your your soul learns that we are all one, that we're we're all connected. For uh, souls with less experience, the world can be a more fearful place. Uh, they see big differences between uh, genders, race, that sort of thing. As the soul gets older, these things don't matter. I mean, you, you start to lose that sense of differentiation. And a, a lot of it is when you get to be an older soul, the veil between this plane and the next gets very thin. Uh, that you, you connect very much more strongly with your conscious mind and your soul. And that allows you to sort of tap into your soul's experience and all the good stuff that you've learned that, no matter what you look like or where you live, you know, you're a valuable soul. You're equal to everyone else. So what I, I got from my spirit guides very early on when I started working with them was this concept of soul ages. So you, you can actually, you can identify how somebody is going to behave based on what level they're at. There are 10 levels in all. And, uh, roughly, well, the first five is a young soul and then second five is an old soul. And so there is a big flip that goes on. We live in a, well, a predominantly young soul society. And uh, so the younger souls tend to to influence us very strongly. But as you become an older soul, you tend to become more, it's almost like there's not introversion exactly, but the ability to sort of look inwards. The younger souls tend to soul an outward focus all about impacting the world. And the reason you get a lot of them in government is, you know, it's an opportunity to learn lessons about power. An awful lot of that would be coming from the ego it's, it's not something that would draw a very old soul in quite the same, although ideally the world would look very different if we had old souls in government and young souls.
2: When you say that there are a lot of uh, young souls informing the way our society works, do you mean because they're in power or because there are more young souls on this earth than old?
0: It, it's, it's a good question because it's not really that there's a majority. I mean, there's a lot, but let's say they're maybe a bit, little bit more vocal. Or Yeah, it's just, I mean, in the United States, for example, it's uh, there is a lot of that young soul consciousness. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes it's extreme, like um, Fox News, I always use as an example of that. You know, I mean, see how disconnected people very often are on Fox News compared to, uh, you know, they're, they're, they see all these differences. You know, they're hating on liberals or, you know, they tend to be more, let's say, keeping the whole patriarchy going, you know, it's a young soul perspective. They just, they think of themselves as right. They don't know what they don't know, I guess. So, uh, but the older the soul, well, politically, I mean, what the very simple sign is that when your soul is younger, it tends to be more conservative, wherever it is in, in the world, and more fundamentalist when it comes to religion. The older the soul becomes, usually the more progressive it becomes, socially and politically, and will usually start to see itself as more spiritual rather than religious. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I could go into this for hours for so many reasons, but yeah. <laughs> it yeah. comes kind of very simply. It's uh, mm. it's, a, it's a way to identify a young or an old soul. You know, you see just an awful lot in how they vote and how they, they see things like social issues. I mean, it's not black and white, it's not cut and dried, you know, and you can be very influenced by your parents or the culture that, that you live in. And uh, But generally, it was... Um, Older souls, they're much more concerned about things like the environment or uh, equality, uh, for example, greater opportunity.
2: So I think it's interesting, as you say, that as our soul age matures, we become more about equality and and all of these things but you mm-hmm. almost see the opposite as the human age increases you know there's the sayings and the thinking a lot of times that i've heard where you know when you're younger you tend to be more progressive and then as you grow older you see that many people become more politically conservative i'm saying in quotes and so yeah. that's very interesting because that's kind of the other side of what we're seeing with the soul age
0: there are different reasons for that i mean i i I started off as extremely liberal and then as I got older I became even more liberal. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so I don't think it always follows. Yeah. That just because yeah. you're getting older that you 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 somehow magically become more conservative. I think what happens is a, a lot of that's fear-based. It's uh I think a large part of it's to do with the fear of loss. And that's something is one of the ten fears that I identify in my books. A fear of loss comes from past lives where you've lost everything, and in this life, if you actually have start to accumulate things, you know, so when you get older and you've got the you've got the money in the bank and you've got the the house and a couple of cars, you've got a lot more to lose. And if you're affected by, by that fear of loss, then that I think is one reason. Well, I know it's one reason why a lot of people as they get older they they tend to be a little bit more. Uh, conservative uh, for that reason. They want to maintain the, s- the status quo when it's working for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, really all souls are meant to help one another. We're meant to be in a much more cooperative kind of world. We are supposed to be there for each other. You know, we're not meant to be, you know, just rugged individualists or whatever that is. That's often just an excuse for Selfishness it's really you know and if the world were the way it's meant to be, spirit guides always say to me it's this is not how the world was meant to be, but if it were there would be far greater equality, and we would be all helping each other, we would have education for everybody at every level free you know we wouldn't have homeless issues, for example. these are just again signs of living in a sort of younger soul world, everything is for profit and and so on.
1: You said something earlier that. Made me think of children and how you identify whether or not children can be old souls right off the bat. I remember when I was younger, I would always give my mom or really anyone advice, and I never knew where it was coming from. I mean I could have been somebody in my childhood, but I mean is that a sign of an old soul, or how do you identify that in in children
0: well it's certainly a, it's a common thing you know I work with a lot of people and you know through them i I, I work with their with their children, so I don't work necessarily directly with them, but you can do a lot of healing and stuff. You know, I just have the the parents help the the children with based on information I get from the other side. When I am looking at people's families and the dynamic between parent and child, one thing I actually came across this yesterday, uh, but I see it quite often where the where the parent used to be your child, and as they get older, they tend to be more they, they sort of. I don't know, sort of re-experience whatever that dynamic was before. They tend to be more needy or looking to the person that was the mother in the past life to help them, maybe more than other siblings, you know, if, there's, if you, you can compare it sometimes. But you you often get kids that come into the world and being a child doesn't really sit very well with them. You know, I always picture the baby coming in, the old soul baby coming in. The first thing it sort of does, it kind of looks and it goes, oh, crap you know here again you know it kind of seemed like a good idea on the astral plane but uh, reality can be a little bit different sometimes it is very hard for kids to especially if you've got a quality like you're here to lead for example if you have a leader or you have that quality in your soul types which is part of your personality so you can get a five-year-old who wants to tell everyone what to do and uh, that can be very hard for that soul to go, geez, you know, I've got to get through all this childhood thing of people not taking me seriously or doing what I'm telling them to do. There's an example I put in my first book of a mother having a real head-to-head argument with her five-year-old daughter. And finally, this five-year-old just standing her ground and going, you can't tell me what to do. I used to be your mom. You know, end of argument, you know. So, Sometimes the kids are aware of that. There's a little sort of window that we we see, you know, where between the time the child is verbal and maybe the sort of veil comes back down. got a couple of years where they'll say things like, oh, you know, when I was in my big body before, you know, when, when I lived in Australia when I was, you know, whatever it was, you know, you'll see them telling little stories about past lives. And sometimes even when I have a parent remind a child, about a past life to maybe heal night terrors or something like that. I've heard people say, Oh yeah, I told my kid about my you know, five year old about this past life and they said to me, "No, oh, that was me, wasn't it? They said they they sort of recognize little sort of few little hints, you know, a little bit about that life and they got in the solar lines and Yeah, it's, that was us.
2: One thing that we talk about sometimes, and I think that a lot of the people listening and in our community identify with, is this idea of being an empath or a highly sensitive person. And I wonder, does that have any association with soul age? And do you see more of that with a particular soul age group?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, to be an empath, you develop empathy over many lifetimes. And it's not to say that young souls can't be empathic, just a little bit harder sometimes. And so certainly, you know, and it and doesn't mean to say that just because you're an old soul, you're not a jerk. I mean, you can, you, can, you can really behave badly. Sometimes you can be very blocked. I mean, I've seen old souls, you know, behave in crummy ways too. But generally, older souls are going to have a little bit more empathy or a lot more empathy because they've had the experience that teaches them these things that we're all, worthy of concern and understanding and so on. The problem is that in this sort of harsher young soul world, it can be really kind of hard to be an empath. You you know, I'm sure you know what it's like. You know, you can feel the slings and arrows of just daily life. It can be kind of exhausting sometimes. The other thing that um, is a little bit of a problem sometimes when you're an empath is that you can draw, it's basically like a victim drawing a bully and it's very easy for empaths to draw a narcissists or even sociopaths into their world. And so, you know, it's not always easy. I mean, the world needs more empaths. There's no, no question. But it's just not always easy for empaths to be here. I'll be working with somebody sometimes and I'll say, oh, you know, it looks like you were meant to be a, a counselor. And the person will say, oh, yeah, you know, I wanted to be that or I started training for it. But. I just couldn't deal with, you know, all other people's problems. It would just be so overwhelming. And that's actually something that can be fixed in about two minutes or less. And unfortunately, so many people that should be helping others, that I got in my soapbox about this quite a lot that so many therapists these days are not empaths because they now, it's such an academic process to become a counselor or a therapist, that it it can often discourage the sensitive empath and it draws in very more academic thinkerly types. They're great at sitting exams. They're not necessarily so good at telling what's going on beneath the surface beneath the surface with somebody. Empathy is in part the ability to pick up on nonverbal emotional signals that you get from somebody else. And that can be very hard if you're just purely in the, you know, in the cognitive side of things maybe just in the left brain and we really need more empaths in positions where they can help and support others you know who doesn't want to be just heard or just know that somebody listens or somebody cares
1: yeah absolutely and i completely agree with that and just set figuring out a way for the empath to manage all of that energy so you're not Giving, giving, giving all the time, and right. you have to find out what can recharge you. So that's definitely um, something that could help get more people into the field.
0: Yes, yeah. and and you know, like I say, in two minutes I can mm-hmm. kind of fix it. It's a it's a relatively simple fix to stop people carrying other mm-hmm. people's energy around with them, and they absolutely don't need it at all. Mm-hmm. Because that's what becomes so debilitating. And I'm mm-hmm. sure, I'm sure somebody listening will know that feeling when you go to a party and you just got so flooded by other people's energy, you, you don't know what's yours. Mm-hmm. You don't know which way is up. One of the problems when you're an empath is that you tend to have quite a lot of idealism. Mm-hmm. And because you're, you have a greater ability to see beneath the surface, you're kind of seeing into the soul when you're encountering people. And it's a, it can be hard because yeah, you, you know, as an empath, you can, um, meet a sociopath or narcissist and I've got to say this that it's it is such a common thing that I actually want I'm planning later this year to do a whole project based on this because it's kind of been the story of my life drawn in narcissists and even sociopaths as well the idealism means that you're seeing the soul and sometimes you're missing the stuff that another person would pick up on right away you know something not right about this person but you're going oh you know really sweet you know beneath the surface You've got a lovely soul and uh, that can sometimes blind you to what's really going on i mean i had conversations back in the day when I started doing this and i'd say you know to the spirit guides jesus you know i'm sp- i'm supposed to be psychic you know how come i can not see these things coming and but everything i just explained is is kind of how it was presented to me and uh, sometimes what you have to do is be aware that as an empath there is a high likelihood that you will draw narcissists and even sociopaths into your world so kind of be aware like if you're starting out in a relationship step back because i mean as again as an empath with a where you you get into a relationship you know it's all s- sort of like you know cherubs and trumpets and hearts and flowers <laughs> and stuff you know and you uh you know you get really twitter and you can you know sure this is love and everything but sometimes you need to really step back and go well is this you know, what I really want. And sometimes because that idealism can blind you, you know, and what you can do very easily is make excuses for somebody else or try to justify behavior that may be kind of toxic. So one of the things that I will do with clients, they will come up in the middle of a session, we're talking about relationships and the way the spirit guides come at it is they'll just, we have shorthand spirit guides and eyes, you know, if one word can speak a thousand if i'm familiar with the topic we talked a lot about it sometimes they just give me one word and the one word they often give give me is maya as in maya angelou who said when when someone shows you who who they are believe them so if they say maya in the middle of a session when we're talking about relationships i guarantee that the the person i'm talking to has had that experience and if they look back at their relationships they'll see those times when all the signs were there and they chose to ignore them. You know, uh, I'm thinking of one client who she met somebody. And just in one of the first dates, it was something very typical. It was like, a, you know, blowing up at a waitress or something. It's like, oh, it seemed a, bit, a little bit odd. But uh, she was saying to me, well, I, I just thought, well, you know, maybe he'd had a bad day at work. Something, you know, something had caused him to be kind of grumpy. Five years later, they're kind of getting divorced and, you know, she's dealing with his anger issues and so on if she'd stepped back and said, you know, wait a minute, that's not normal. Something not quite right about that. She could have saved herself a few years of, of heartache. So that's really my recommendation. You know, if you, if you do get into a relationship as an empath, be aware that you can easily draw in that narcissistic energy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, there's lots of different reasons for that, but, but you are at risk of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, always take a little, you know, Take time to to know and that kind of thing, and, you know, and try to avoid, you know, just going through with the blinders on completely. Right? <laughs> Step back yeah, the and rose on,
1: colored glasses. Yeah,
0: <laughs> going. Yeah, yeah. It's very. Yeah. Easy.
1: yeah. Well, on the topic of relationships, do young souls and old souls tend to be attracted to each other, or is it the opposite where you're more attracted to? The-
0: well, you know, young souls and old souls certainly end up together, not not very happily, very often, <laughs> because they they don't quite understand each other. Yeah. When you, if you imagine when your soul's young, early lifetimes, you can just jump into any relationship. You're looking for experience. Your soul doesn't care too much about how specific it is because it's just trying to just rack up experience. So when you get to be an old soul, it changes. And you want specific experiences. And you want to share your life with somebody who's part of your soul family. Your soul came into this world, so let's say, 5,000 years ago. You come in with a whole bunch, a few thousand other souls come in around the same time. And that's your soul family. It's kind of like a horse race, you know, and everybody, boom, off, the, off they go. And they do their own thing, you know, you have you know one life in China, the next in New Zealand, the next in Canada, you know, your, your soul is just going all over the world. It doesn't care too much as long as it's getting experienced. Once it becomes an old soul, that's, it wants, it says, okay, what do I have to learn now? Because it doesn't want to keep coming back here forever. So it sets up circumstances and it wants to make sure that if it gets into a romantic entanglement, ideally it's with somebody that's a member of the same soul family. In fact, uh, what's called an old friend, which is somebody who's not just in the same soul family, but you've known them before. You've hung out with them in previous lifetimes. And what that kind of familiarity does is it allows your soul to get to a deeper emotional place with somebody. Every old soul is is seeking intimacy, or with few exceptions, but generally that's a a major goal. And you can get to a, a much deeper emotional place with someone who sees the world kind of the same way that you do. There is, however, there's a dynamic that I see quite a lot uh, with my clients, and this is where the old soul woman chooses a young soul guy. And it seems like they have so little in common, but the soul level agreement is really that he's saying, I'll provide and, you know, make sure there's food on the table and so on while you go and follow your spiritual path or do the things that you want to do, you know, be an artist. Uh, whatever it's a, a an interesting kind of quid pro quo there. The problem is that sometimes that can seem like a really good choice when you know when you you as the old soul woman you meet this guy and he's you know he'll take care of you it's very often uh like a, a the young soul is is a hunter leader type they they have strong masculine energy and they they're all about making sure that you're provided for and that offers a lot of security especially if you've had past lives where you didn't have any security. So it seems great. You meet this guy and he's um, he doesn't mind working really hard to make sure that he got money and a nice home and everything. And then that woman comes to me like you know 20 years later going, this guy's driving me nuts uh, because I'm craving intimacy and I'm not getting it. How can I change him? What can I do? And unfortunately, there's not a lot necessarily you can do. You know, it's like, can't change him completely he's a young soul he's just he just doesn't quite have the experience and so it's a trade-off some people are really happy with it some people kind of you know a little regretful maybe of that choice further down the line but you know ideally in my experience the most comfortable best relationships are between um, souls of roughly the same age it doesn't have to be exactly the same but you know you're gonna have a lot more in common depends. I mean, I've actually, I mean, I can think of one couple, I mean, they're very typical old soul, progressive, young soul, very Trump supporter. You know, they're certainly not going to see the world through the same way, but they've learned to accept the differences. They don't try to change each other. And and that kind of works. It works for them, but it doesn't work for for everybody.
2: What about in families? Or is it common for a family, your family on earth to have different soul ages or just real disparities in the ages of the souls there? Yeah, Or do they tend to be closer? Uh,
0: Yes, it really depends. I mean, I I tend to see old souls coming into a younger soul family sometimes. I don't see it the other way around. I, I, I never see old souls with young soul children, for example. if if I'm working with the children, they're going to be very, very close to to the parents or often to the oldest soul parent if one's much younger. And so then they're more sort of allied with that person and and learn a lot more from them that way. Uh, But I do see these old souls that come into young soul families. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is it offers you a huge springboard because you ain't going to stick around there. You know, it's usually when somebody gets the age 16 and they're going <laughs> I'm out of here <laughs> you, know? you know, thanks for all this. so the other thing is that you know what the spirit guides will say and and often I get some resistance when I tell people this that or some pushback is the guides say that the young souls always will be elevated by your presence but what people often say to me is, well, I really don't think so. Have you met my family? You know, I don't think <laughs> i made any difference, but you don't know that. And they none of this is known until they process this life on the astral plane when they're done with it. But, it, yeah, it's, it can be really difficult. And you know, hear people complaining about, oh, God, I have Thanksgiving coming up. And, you know, I've got my, you know, racist uncle and i got this, that, and the next <laughs> thing. And you can tell that that family's a bunch of mixed-age souls, yeah. you know, so... I always say, you know, I think it's really important when, I mean, it's it's vital that old souls share their beliefs and share their perspective, because that helps to shift consciousness. And so you don't want to sort of just because somebody, you know, they, they they think differently from you. Let's say you're at Thanksgiving dinner and somebody's, you know, spouting racist stuff. As an old soul, you are meant to stand up for Equality. You're meant to say something, you know, don't just go, oh, you know, it's just Uncle Fred again, you know. Mm. <laughs> it's, Uncle Fred could benefit from being, seeing a little, like a different perspective. So mm. it is really important for Old Souls to lend their voice. I mean, even what's happening right now, you know, with Black Lives Matter and so on. It is really important for Old Souls of, of all colors and all, all races and so on to to uh, get involved You know, be on the right side of history is what the expression the spirit guides keep using, and uh, I think it's brilliant. I think, yeah, think about being on the right side of history. You want to kind of do the the right thing. But it is so important to express yourself. However, there are times when maybe you want to pick your battles. Like here comes Uncle Fred again, and he's spouting off about, you know, something. Are you really going to make that much difference?
2: I love what you said about, you know, if you're someone that identifies as an older soul, like just your presence, even if you don't really see it or know it can be beneficial to the evolution of that soul. And so I think that's something important to keep in mind because we don't, we may not see it, but it doesn't mean that it's not, the presence is not having an impact.
0: That's right. I actually was working with somebody a few years ago and, and uh, we were talking about this thing that I said about how you don't really know that impact until you go to the astral plane when you process this life all of that becomes clear once you're in another dimension and she said yeah there was this older lady who'd been a huge influence on her and sh- and then she died and sh- my client wished she had said something she wished she'd let that person know but she had a uh, she had made such a big difference so yeah we don't always know people don't always tell us We don't always -hmm. always get the feedback, but um, none of that energy is ever wasted. So, you know, and it's so important for you to really um, maintain old soul values and espouse those values, you know, Uh, and they're very simple. I I put these in my books. I've actually written some social media memes just listing, Mm -hmm. listing the 10 core values or goals or paths They're the same thing, same Mm -hmm. 10 things. The spirit guides use different terms for them because, in fact, they use paths and goals because it's the path to the goal and these core value because that's what you eventually embody. But they're simple, you know, peace, truth, love, understanding, and so on.
1: We want to make sure that we get into the past lives as well. I can't believe how quickly this conversation is going. (laughs) Um, I could feel like I could stay here for hours. In terms of past lives, why is it important for us to understand what they are?
0: Well, I actually posted a social media message today, which reads, if I remember correctly, I don't remember my past lives. And I scored that out and then put my sort of something like my soul remembers all my past lives. Mm-hmm. Because people say that, oh, no, I, don't, I don't remember any of my past lives. <laughs> yes, you do. You just don't consciously necessarily do. But the memories of your past lives show up. In all different ways, you know. I mentioned earlier, all talents are past life abilities. So whatever it is, you know, um, I work with a lot of healers. For example, they've all learned to be healers through healing in different lifetimes. You'll find if they're a doctor now, they were midwife in the last life or two lifetimes before that. They were an herbalist, but you'll see that string of past lives with a theme. Now the past lives, unfortunately, they they have a lot of trauma. Very often associated with them. And then we that shows up in our lives now as fears, phobias, limiting beliefs, and something that I call Achilles' body parts. So the fears, it could be like you have a past life as a downtrodden servant, you're you're treated like you you don't matter. The fear is inferiority. It teaches your soul, learns lessons about. It has imposed on it lessons that tell it that it's not, um, it's not worthy. So then you come into this life, and it, we hit triggers. We hit reminders of the past life, and so it's very easy. You, you know, you can, you're going to get triggered a lot if you have something like that. It just takes, you know, a parent to not pay any attention to, you and it's all for you. It's all about self-worth, and uh, so then it then becomes about working through it. You want to heal the fear. Your soul never wants to sit with a fear. It always wants to to overcome it, whatever it is. And that actually, to go back to what we're saying about uh, families, your choice of your family of origin is very significant because we don't always come into the warmest and fuzziest of families. And sometimes there's dysfunction there, sometimes a lot of stuff going on that's very challenging. And you can often tell what your soul's trying to work on and heal by looking at what's been triggered by your family. So is it like trust? Is it self-worth? Is it the absence of love? The amazing thing about past lives is that the fears and the blocks, the limiting beliefs, the phobias, the these physical ailments that can show up, they all can heal very, very quickly once you find the source. The problem is that I was talking about how you could be on life 120 at this point as an old soul. But your soul is still on life number one. It doesn't die between lives. And for that reason, it finds it difficult to separate one life from the next. So when you hit a trigger, a reminder of a past life, it sort of flares up and the soul goes, oh my God, we've got something to be uh, really afraid of here. or something to watch out. Why probably get sort of overblown reactions uh, to things that, you know, especially when people say, oh, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, it kind of does if you understand past lives and the weird and irrational ways that these things will show up, but so many things can heal up just from reminding your soul that that was then this is now. So it's by just, if I'm working with somebody, I just tell them what happened. Okay, here's your past life. I start just before most sessions, I'll just say to the spirit guys, give me a past life that's significant here. So I've got some idea of what the person's working on. And, uh, the moment the soul hears about the past life, it goes, ah, oh, right, past life. I don't have to worry about that anymore. It's, a, it's the oddest thing, but it can't seem to do it on its own. It's certainly the fears can dissipate over time, but the most effective and fast way of doing this is to find out what happened in the past life and then let the healing begin. And, I mean, I feel almost like, well, I've been saying this for years. I don't think there's anything about we humans that isn't past life related. Because even our choice of personalities, we, we, we develop our personality over lifetimes, all the fears, all the issues, quirks, idiosyncrasies, you know anything where you go, I can't stand such and such. I have no idea why. Past life, absolutely guaranteed. And so I, I see people just, once they hear about past life, overcoming uh, chronic pain, migraines, somebody I wrote about in my new book, just literally in the moment finding out about being the head in a past life, uh, got through, overcame 20 years of chronic neck and shoulder pain. And actually, if you have unexplained neck and shoulder pain, it always seems to go back to something like the heading in a past life. I've seen people, I mean, radical changes when people, when you overcome issues around self-expression, for example, and you know, maybe you got in trouble for standing out in a past life and it's preventing you from maybe being an artist or putting yourself out there into the world. And so I've you know, been able to help a lot of people start businesses or do the things that they're really meant to do because they no longer have that small, still voice of the fear saying, Ooh, we might get into trouble if we get noticed. There are fears like judgment, which shows up as an issue with uh, public speaking, or it can be a stage fright or fears around being tested. And uh, that just goes back to being judged and executed or something very similar in a past life. People worry about the future. That can be to do with losing everything in a past life. And all of these fears change. I mean, some sometimes they're very, really quite radical. A lot of infertility issues are related to past lives, where the soul is going, we are not going to let this body get pregnant again because we died in childbirth uh, you know, 200 years ago or something like that. So again, I've seen that sort of thing shift very, very quickly. I could go on. I mean, past lives affect us in- many ways but super exciting all the time i i learn new things but i mean whatever your issue is whether it's you know indecision uh lack of certainty about the future fears around intimacy a sense of you know being an outsider not fitting in all of these are past life issues and they all respond really really quickly in most cases when you find the source
2: That made me think a lot about, so Catherine and I both do coaching work and work with women, work with a lot of women. And one thing that comes up a lot that made me think of, and I think that even we've experienced is this imposter syndrome or like fear of being found out that I'm not as good as they think I am. And I think that that sounds like a perfect example, maybe digging into a little bit more and learning where that comes from. Would you agree?
0: Absolutely. Well, that's your past life fear of inferiority. The one I was saying mm. comes from I usually think of the downtrodden servant as being the the archetype there. Mm. So it's an absence of self-worth. And that imposter syndrome, absolutely, it is that feeling of uh they're gonna see through me. Mm. And um, you know, and I'm not good enough. I, I'll hear variations, you know, where people will say to me, oh yeah, I know I should start my business, but I just need to get another qualification first. You know, it's mm. like I'm not quite there. I'm not good enough. And spirit guys usually their their thing will be like, Yeah, you're good enough, just just do it, get started. You know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> I used procrastination, there's different mm-hmm. reasons for that. But
2: mm-hmm. you know,
0: so so yes, from being treated as lesser in a past life, then low self-esteem, imposter syndrome, all of that. If you bring in judgment, there's another one I mentioned there from being judged maybe in a court of law in a past life and then executed or something awful happening, you bring those two together. And that's where uh, a lot of people become high achievers because they, they don't want to be seen as lesser and they don't want to be criticized. So it puts an awful lot of internal pressure. And what I've noticed is that once, once you heal that, you find the past lives and get rid of all that stuff. Um, it's not that they suddenly become really sloppy and don't care, but then it's not this desire to, to really prove that they're not lesser. It is not coming from a, a place of fear anymore. So it's not a, there's no anxiety around it mm-hmm. again one of those things that heals up very very quickly
1: yeah one follow-up question i had on that was when you're doing a reading on someone and you identify a past life do they f- get that light bulb moment like oh, yeah. are they conscious of it when you talk about it
0: sometimes they're, they're very conscious you know people, yeah. people say oh my god that explains everything that's yeah you know, usually the sort of reaction but sometimes I'll tell somebody, I'll just start telling them about a past life and I'll go, yeah, you had this life in Sardinia, you were a girl and, you, and, and they, they'll start saying, oh my God, I'm tearing up, what's going on? I've hardly told them anything, but the mm. soul is already going, oh my God, this is the time we were raped and killed and oh my gosh. So uh, big emotions can come up when you look at past lives, and you know, often people crying on the other end of the phone going, I don't know why I'm so upset. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, it's, you know, your soul is tapping into something really very, very traumatic. So, uh, yeah, sometimes consciously it's, it's like, Oh my gosh, well, this makes total sense. I mean, places, for example, you know, I'll tell somebody about, you know, an awful past life somewhere and they'll go, Oh my God. Like somebody, I, I think I was talking to, I think it was just a few hours ago. Yeah. It was this morning. Somebody who, um, I said, there's a really tr- terrible past life in France. It was execution. And uh, actually, funnily enough, it was that beheading thing I talked about before. And yes, neck and shoulder pain. And she told me that uh, her husband has gone to France three times without her because she just won't go. Now, that will change. You know. But people get very positive feelings about places and sometimes very negative feelings based on you know whatever's happened. And yeah, so when I'm working with people, often big emotions come up, a lot of light bulb moments, definitely.
1: Yeah, I always get very drawn to Ireland. My husband's actually from Mm -hmm. Ireland. I know that you're from Scotland, but I think about that. I'm like, what? Maybe there has to be some sort of past life or multiple past lives over there because I just love it. Oh, yes,
0: absolutely. When someplace feels really familiar and Mm -hmm. you have that feeling like, yeah, these are my people.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's
0: the sign. Yeah. Mm
2: So, you know, obviously you have this huge body of work and you've done so much of this work and you're writing and you're working with people. Mm-hmm. If you could share maybe one of the biggest kind of lessons or pieces of advice or guidance that you have for people with this perspective that you have, what would you say that that is?
0: Well, I think one of the most powerful observations that I've ever had from the spirit guides that i i work with was when they talked about how the experience is not the lesson the lesson is what you draw from the experience and there's always a positive lesson no matter how awful the experience and so when you think i mean i tested my spirit guides over and over on that one you know i'd say well you know if you're being tortured and beaten in a dungeon somewhere what's you know if the experience is not a lesson what's the lesson and how come it can be positive and they'll say well it actually can teach you very very important lessons about you know how awful torture is or how you know we should treat each other better you know so there's always something you can draw from from any experience a lot of times people think sorry to go off a bit of a tangent here but a lot of times people think that the experience is given to them for the lesson you know somebody was asking me what you know why was coronavirus given to us? Well it's not given, it happens. Then the question is, well what what can you take away from that? How can you take something negative and learn something positive about it? So there might be huge lessons about you know, if you're a scientist, it might be to to work on helping to make sure there's not another pandemic or helping to heal people or you know and and so on. But it could be just, you know, very, very powerful lessons about how precious life is or taking care of one another. I mean, so there's always a positive lesson.
1: Well, Ainsley, there's one question that we ask all of our guests. What life experience have you had that has been your greatest teacher?
0: I think what, you know, I have to say that really working with the spirit guides for me, that has been, I mean, I've often thought, my God, if I lost my connection to my spirit guides tomorrow, I I would want to carry on, you know, it's like, I think it's, it's really taught me very, very important lessons about how we all have the ability to connect to the other side. And we just don't always do it. We don't, we don't create space sometimes or the opportunity. We live crazy, noisy lives and we're not, not always sort of creating the tranquility inner and outer tranquility that allows us to connect. So I, I think that's a really important thing that I've, I've learned is that we're not alone. We all have a support team on the other side and they're they have nothing else to do but but help us. Like that's what that's what their job is. And uh yeah, I think we should all be talking to our spirit guides much more, however you want to identify them. It could be angels or whatever, it's just whatever term works. But uh we all have support. So in fact they'll often tell me to tell somebody, use us. You know, remind that person that we're we're there. Sorry, that was a bit of a rambling answer to a very simple question.
1: (laughs) No, it's definitely not a simple question. It's a it's a big question. But yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that we talk about too, is just tuning up our ability to talk to spirit guides and just know that we're not alone and it's a comforting feeling and knowing that there's so much more to this than just this life that we're on right now.
2: So we are going to link your work, your books, so that everyone can hear it from you. If they want to know more about your work or maybe work with you, what's the best way to find you?
0: Uh, com, just my name.com. And uh, uh, also I have a membership program where we, we have monthly classes, Q&As, past life regressions, daily messages from the Spirit Guide. It's a very active and supportive forum. It's an amazing program and if you go to soulworld.com you can learn all about that there
2: all right thank you and like i said we will link all of that in the show notes so you guys can find it easily well thank you thank you ainsley thank you
0: well thank you both so much it's been an absolute pleasure
1: if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a review or share it with a friend And hit subscribe so you never miss a show.